Open your Bibles. We're back in the gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. A couple reminders. He has entered into Jerusalem triumphantly. He has cleansed the temple. Now you need to keep that in mind when we get to this passage today. Then they asked, by what authority? And then he gave them a panoramic parable. Remember that last week? 2,000 years of Jewish history. And he indicted them over and over and over again. So now we're in a very familiar passage, and here's the challenge with familiar passages. Yes? Are, are you familiar with render unto Caesar what is, and render unto God what is? It's a very pleasing, poetic kind of cadence, and it just, it just flows off the tongue. But the challenge with these kinds of passages and stories is they simply, they're, they're so familiar the nuances tend to be lost. And those nuances linger into a cultural unconsciousness. We forget what they even mean. Think about David and Goliath, right? What, what's the message? Right, The underdog overcomes. Well, it's much deeper than that. Think about Noah, right? A big boat with animals two by two coming on in pairs and coming off in pairs and maybe occasionally peeking out. It's deeper than that. This here is much deeper than what it has been proposed by many. And not until I really spent a lot of time in looking at this, preparing for you, did it really all come together for me. So, the title of this message is to render revolutionary revolution. If we're not careful, much of the meaning of the original text gets divorced from its context. So today, I want to make sure that we lay this out and understand what's being said. Okay? You ready? Luke 20. 20 to 26. Remember now. They had just realized that the parable that we called a panoramic parable was said against them. It was an indictment against them. So now they're really, really angry. So they try to trap him. They try to catch him. They try to put him on the horns of a dilemma. That's the goal here. Luke 20, 20 to 26. Hear now the word of God. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. And that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by this answer, they became silent. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. 
Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Under to render. Revolutionary revolution. Three headings. Number one, the trap. They're setting a trap for Jesus. Number two, the teaching. And finally, number three, the truth. Give you a quick quote from Justin Martyr in his first apology. Many have, many have reduced this passage to just simply be a good citizen, obey Caesar, pay your tax. So listen to these words. Clearly, there's more to this passage, but just hear these words. We more readily than all men endeavor to pay to those appointed by you, speaking of God, the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by him. Is that all this passage teaches? Is that the primary message of this passage? I submit to you today, it is not. You ready? Let's head out into some deep water, shall we? And let our nets down for a catch. Number one, it's a trap. So like, take a look at it. In order, remember... Many times we've said when we're in the gospel, sometimes you have to go to the other gospel account to get a composite picture to actually see the whole thing. There's something that isn't in Luke that we're going to find out in Matthew, and I'm taking you there just so that we can see the picture. And you can see what's really going on here. Okay? So we're in Luke, but we're going to go to Matthew 22, 15, and 16. The Pharisees who have been dogging every one of his steps, went out and laid plans to trap him. So we see this is a trap. Yes? Makes it clear. They're trapping him. In his words, want to catch him in his words. They're sticking him on the horns of a dilemma. They sent their disciples with the Herodians. Okay, now, there it is. We have to ask a question. What is that? Who are these guys who have now simply showed up on the scene? This is what's going to inform us to understand what it is that's going on and why Jesus answers the way he answers. The Pharisees, you're very familiar with them, yes? This is the religious party that opposed Roman occupation and the taxation system of Rome. Jews had their own taxation system. But this is the religious party. Who are the Herodians? This is the political party that supported Herod. So this gives you some insight. We could preach a month of Sundays on the political nature of this question. But we, we don't have time, and that'll be for another kind of a sermon series when we'll look at political questions that are being asked in the Scriptures. But you know that's what's happening right here, right now. We have, we have these two parties who are, who are on extreme opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. The Pharisees hate the Herodians because they've kind of partnered with, with Rome. And, and they, they're not opposed to the taxation system, so they're kind of in bed with them. The Pharisees hate this, but they are united right now for a common cause. And what's that? Get rid of Jesus, right? Okay, so they've come together. And, and remember, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were on two ends of the theological perspective, right? Pharisees believed in the resurrection, Sadducees did not. These two are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum politically, Okay? So that's, that's the first thing that we need to see. It's why we went back to Matthew. Now we're going to go back to Luke. The spies, these are spies, questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak the truth. Listen to the flattery. 
and what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God. If they really believe that, they wouldn't be asking him the question. In accordance with the truth, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, let's just be clear. We've got to talk about the tax for a moment. I'll give you a little historical context in just a moment. This, this is a special tax. This is, a, this is called a head tax. This is the tax that you're going to pay. It's only, a, it's only a denaria. So what that equals is about a day's wage for a common laborer. The tax is not, it's not the, the amount. It's what the tax is representing and symbolizing. It is a head tax. You're paying the tax for the right to be in Caesar's kingdom. The right to submit and to surrender and to bow to Caesar. That's what this whole thing is all about. Okay? You with me? So now, they think it's really simple. We got him. Is it right to pay taxes? He's going to say yes. He's going to say no. One or the other. We got him. Now, Pharisees say what? If he says yes, he's condemned as the Christ. He's not the guy who rode into town that's going to establish the kingdom of God. Because he's now for Caesar. So all of the people will simply walk away from him. But what do the Herodians say? If he says no, he's condemned as a criminal. They'll go to Caesar. Say this man is leading an insurrection. He says don't pay the tax. So he's stuck on the horns of a dilemma. Right? He's, he's in a mess. Historical setting. You need to get an understanding. There's an undercurrent here that goes back about 25 years. And we'll go to scripture in just a moment. But Julian the uh, Judas the Galilean is, is about 25 years before Jesus. Jesus is in his, his youth. He's a child. And, and this tax is instituted by, by Caesar. And so Judas the Galilean rises up. And he gets a bunch of people and he says, we, we, we cannot stand for this. We must revolt against this. They resist the tax and something happens to him and his, his merry band of men. Judas the Galilean in Acts 5, appeared in the days of the census, it's about 25 years earlier, led a band of people in a revolt, and he was killed. Okay? So, Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, he loses the people. If he says, no, don't pay the tax, he loses his life. So, are you getting an understanding that this is a revolutionary kind of question? This is not a question of just tax. No, you, are you with me? Okay, we're going to go deeper. Either God and his law is supreme or Caesar and his word is supreme. This is a deeper philosophical and political and theological issue. One more thing about Judas, uh, the, the Galilean. He kind of is the founder of the fourth philosophical grouping in, in Judaism, you know the Pharisees and the Sadducees on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? They're on the opposite end. It's Pharisees, resurrection, Sadducees, no resurrection. Now you have the, the Essenes who, who kind of withdraw. Remember years ago we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls out in the wilderness? It's because that's where they, they went. They withdrew from public life. They got off the grid, if you will, and they retreated. But then you have this fourth group that kind of sprang up with, with Judas, the Galilean, the Zealots. So instead of retreating, they revolt. So, so you, you have the picture? These are the four groups, the four philosophical understandings in, in, in Judaism at that time. So Jesus rides into town. They have a great memory, great history. They understand their history. Rides into town, cleanses the temple 
What's the next thing for Jesus to do? Revolt. Rise up. Remember, Judas got crushed, but you won't. We've seen what you've done. We know what you can do. So this is what's happening. You see the trap? It's a very simple trap. Now, let's go to the teaching. We'll try to be brief. We could do many, many Sundays on this, but we'll run through it quickly. What's the teaching? Back to Luke 20, 24. What? What does he say? He doesn't answer yes. He doesn't answer no. Show me a denarius. Pause. Put this in the back of your mind as we go through this. He doesn't pull one out of his pocket. He's a king without a coin. Now, something gets lost in the English translation, so we have to be careful. And that's why I'm so indebted to Dr. Lamerson, who we are so grateful for, who came and preached last night. I just love him to death. In this word here, we miss something. Whose portrait and inscription are on it? That would be a better if it said image, because Jesus is going to do something here that I need you to simply understand what's happening to Jesus as a rabbi, okay? Who, who, hand me a coin. Let me see the coin. Whose who's inscription on it? They are interrogating him as a rabbi. The title for this is really called, it's a forensic interrogation. And here's what they would do. The hostile questioner poses a question to the rabbi to, to force him into a bad situation. Well, the rabbi answers with a counter question, which the questioner now must answer. And, and, and they will in just a moment. When the rabbi then makes use of the questioner's answer to refute the initial challenge. So when rabbis were, were answering questions related to law, is it lawful that we pay taxes to Caesar? It was incumbent upon them to answer based on the law. So they, they, they have to root their answer in the law. Watch, watch. Oh, don't miss this. Whose image? Where's the echo? Image? Genesis 1, 26. And God made man in his own. Stay with me. And inscription, Exodus 13, inscription, what is written on the hearts of man, the law of, oh, don't miss this. Stay with me. You're going to see how deep this gets in just a moment. J. Spencer Kennard, in the 1800s, wrote a book that's out of print, Render to God. Listen to these words. For indoctrinating the peoples of the empire with the deity of the emperor, coins excelled all other media. Not like that today. Back then, coins were the key to pushing your propaganda. They went everywhere, were handled by everyone, and their subtle symbolism pervaded every single home. Which, when Jesus says, whose image? He takes them back to Scripture. When he says, whose inscription? And they know it. They go, and you'll see at the end how we know they know. He takes them right back without saying yes or no, and forces them to answer their own question. Just for a moment, take a look. Quick peek. We know much about the denarius, because we have them. They're in museums. You have pictures of them on the internet. But I just want to show you. You can't read it. It's hard for you to see the inscription, but I want you. So imagine Jesus, whether he's holding it or not, we don't know. But let's just assume he's holding the coin. See the inscription on the, the, the left side here? That's Caesar's head, yes? That's Tiberius Caesar. Now, wh what, what, who, who's, whose image is on the coin? Say Caesar. Caesar, what's the inscription? Don't miss this. Ready? The Latin inscription. 
Tiberius Caesar, Ty Caesar, Diva Agatha Augustus, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, claiming to be what? Son of God. Stay with me. On the opposite side, we have a picture of the goddess Pax. Remember Pax Romana, the goddess of peace? And these words, Pontifex Maximus, high priest. Picture this. Jesus is sitting. He's in the temple. Show me. He doesn't have the coin. King without a coin. Takes the coin. He holds the coin up. He says, whose image and inscription? What What does this say on here? So the image is Caesar. Caesar's claiming to be what? King. Son of God. High priest. Notice the inspired irony. Who's asking the question? The true king. The true son of God. And the true high priest. Oh my God, my God. Did you get that? Did you, do, you, do you see what he's doing? He has just simply tipped them all upside down. But we're not done. We're going to go deeper. Taxes were, were not odious and unacceptable. They understood tax. This, this was a tax that said you are thanking Caesar for the right to be in his kingdom. And they just, it, it, was, it was abhorrent to them. But let's just see their understanding of tax. Matthew 17, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Of course he does. We understand tax. Jesus said, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Give it to them for my tax and yours. Now you ready? Now we're going to go deeper. Remember, image, inscription. Stay with me. Image, scripture. Ugh. Now on to the Lord's logical argument. What do they say? Caesar's. They replied. He said, then render. Render is a better way than, than, than give. Render to Caesar. And I'll show you in a moment why in the Greek. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Take a look at the Greek word. The, the word to give is too weak. Here's what it really means. It means to return what is his. Not a gift of a tribute. Not a giving... Render, give him back what already is his. And what is his? Well, it really was his money. Those coins were minted out of his money. He owned the coins. So what is Jesus saying? Render to Caesar what is what does image imply? Ownership. What does image imply back in Genesis 1.26? And God made man in his own image. In his image and likeness he made man. What does it imply? Ownership. He owns you. Whose inscription? What did Caesar write on this? Whose inscription is on your heart? God's. He wrote the law upon your heart. Jesus got them. They didn't even, they still don't even know yet. They're still not even sure what this guy's doing. Stay with me. If it's Caesar's, give it to Caesar. But only give what is his, not what is God's. What, 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 why was it reasonable to give to Caesar? What did Caesar give to the people? And he gave much to the people. Caesar's money gave him what? An army to defend. That helped the spread of the gospel. Police to protect. Building the roads and the bridges, all of that helped the spread of the gospel. You benefit by the government, then you give the government what it is that, that, that's theirs. Providing the means of communication. Now, his money minted 
all of this. This was his. But here's something we need to get. You ready for this? Heard of the term lex, rex, law, and prince, right? Well, we've got to be careful that we don't flip-flop that order. Rex est lex loquens. The king is the law speaking. This is the first place in the history of the world where we have been delivered the concept of limited government. Did you know that? Never in the history of the world was government ever challenged. Why? All governments, all kingdoms believed what? God had raised them up. The king was what? A god. You weren't to question the king. You weren't to rise up against the kingdom. If you did, you were squashed. You were crushed. Jesus is limiting government right here before their eyes. Without saying yes and without saying no. He is, oh, he has, he has drawn them. Remember last week? He drew them in. He's drawn them now into the story. Render. Is that Caesar's coin? Give it back to him. But whose inscription is on you? Whose image is on you? Give him your stuff. Give God yourself. Why doesn't he just stop and say, render unto Caesar, period, done. Go to the next subject. No. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God. What is God's? Caesar don't know it, but even Caesar is God's. And his money. Oh, Jesus got him. Take a look at this. This is important just to see very briefly. A fortiori argument. This is, this is his logical conclusion of, of, of what he has just said. What does this mean? What did he just do? Because this is important that we unpack this. He's not dividing life into two spheres. He's not saying there's a sacred world and, and, and there's a secular world. He's not doing that. He's not saying that. He's, he's, he's advanced an argument that it, another way to say it would be from the lesser to the greater. You are to render under Caesar what is Caesar, but how much more should you render under God? What is God's? That's his logical argument. We read in the scriptures, right? If earthly fathers will give good gifts to their children, how much more your father in heaven? That argument is all throughout the scriptures. He's doing it right here to them. This is not a tribute and a gift you're giving. Give him back what's his. Give it to him. But shouldn't Caesar also be given some resistance? But remember, Jesus is specifically dealing with two groups of people. He's dealing with the Essenes who checked out. You're not supposed to go off the grid. You know how people do that? You see those, sometimes those shows on, the, on TV and they just kind of go off the grid? Jesus says, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're on the grid. I put you on the grid. Stay on the grid. G give them what is theirs, but don't give them any more than that. And then he says to the zealots, no, you, you can't go running around trying to kill people to do this. I'm going to show you a revolutionary revolution. Something the world has never seen. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Are we clear? What is God's? Say everything. Even Caesar, he don't know it. Oh, he does now. He didn't then. Romans 13, 1. Let's be clear. Should we pay? Render under Caesar? Let's, let's be clear. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. 
Remember when Dr. Ron gave the seminar, the gift that changed the world, the book that came out? All of that is in there. What are we supposed to do with our money? We have an obligation to pay back to those who are supporting us. So we pay to the government what the government is due. You render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, knowing that it is God who raised Caesar up, okay? You're not to run away from that and, 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 and cheat on your tax. Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, you say, well, I'm not happy with No, don't do that. But render unto God what is God's, and at times we must resist who? Caesar. Okay, so this is, this is Acts 5.29. Here, here, here it makes it clear. You ready? Peter and the other apostles replied what? We must obey God rather than human beings. We cannot serve two masters. You know what N.T. Wright, great New Testament scholar, you know what he says? If Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Somebody's Lord. How would you apply this right now? I, I can show you a personal way to apply this for me. So the government enacts a law. And says you're going to lose your 501c3 tax-exempt status as a church and, and, and all those things. Because you no longer can preach this gospel because this gospel is, 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 is intolerant. And it's exclusive. And it's hurtful to many groups of people. You cannot preach that. So, so what do I do? Say it. Preach it. That's all. I don't get a vote. I don't get to change the plan. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. You have an obligation to God that rises above your obligation to Caesar, yet you're still obligated to Caesar at some level, yes? But ultimately what? Right? Caesar is, is obligated to God, okay? The king and the law. The king is subject to the law. Not man's law, God's law. The king is subject to God's law. Okay? You with me? All right, here we go. Now to the truth. You, 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 you've, we've, we've tracked through this. You saw the trap, the test. Now let's take a look at the truth. They were unable to track him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Do you, you see that? They're waiting for a yes. Yes, pay your tax, and then the people walk away from him. They're waiting for a no. No, don't pay your tax. Either, either lose your, 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 your following or lose your life, one or the other. Now they're stuck. They walk away. You want to know the truth in that passage? All lies, all untruth will one day ultimately be silenced. That's just a picture of what's coming. All of it. The truth will ultimately win out over lies all the time. The truth will set you Free. That's it. And that day, they became silent that day. All those who speak on truth will become silent. Truth's on the way back. Yes? Okay. Luke 23, 2. Ready for this? How do we... You say, man. Did they really understand what he was saying? Of course they understood what he was saying. Later on, if the Lord leaves me alive long enough... If we get to chapter 23, and if not, someone else will preach it for me. They say something that tells you they completely understood. They go to Pilate and they say what? We have found this man subverting our nation. Stop, stop. They knew exactly what he was saying in that answer. Now, 
He didn't say it in such a way that, that, the, that the Herodians would run in with the, the, the Roman guard and arrest him because he said, render unto Caesar. It just seemed like, okay, give Caesar his... But they knew there was something deeper, and they go on. He opposes payment of taxes, which he doesn't, but, and claims to be Messiah and king. What are they saying? Well, the coin says you're king. Jesus says he's king. The coin says you're God. Jesus says he's God. The coin says you're high priest. Jesus says he's the high priest. We found this man subverting our nation. He needs to be put. They knew exactly what he said. He was leading a revolt. But unlike any revolt the world had ever seen up to that time. A couple points and the close. Ready? And then we'll meet together in the fellowship hall, have some snacks. Whew. Caesar says, I am God. Jesus says, I am God. Caesar says, I am high priest. Jesus says, I am high priest. Caesar has power and position. Jesus has no power, no position. No. How do you establish a kingdom in this world? Through power, through position, through prestige. He has none of this. Caesar has what? Caesar has all the wealth in the world. Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. He's a king without a coin. That part is easily missed in the passage. Hand me a denarius. But you don't have, no, I don't have one. First of all, I wouldn't carry that pagan coin inside the temple courtyard. With that pagan head on, I wouldn't do that. Remember, you couldn't bring those coins inside the temple. They're already indicted. Bunch of them had those coins. They had no Remember, you had to exchange your coins in order to go into the temple to pay your temple tax. You couldn't bring those pagan coins in. Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. Caesar has everything. A greater king and a greater kingdom. But I'm going to take it even one step further. A king unlike the world has ever seen. And a kingdom unlike the world has ever seen. You know how? Here's how. Every revolt was about getting power. This revolt was about giving power away. Every revolt was about getting position and prestige and prosperity. This revolt was about giving it all away by the true king. You ready for the close? Here it is. Now, don't miss this. Render unto Caesar what is. Now, Jesus said that that's, that's law. So does Jesus render unto Caesar? Oh, watch. Jesus rendered unto Caesar what was Caesar's. Crucifixion of a rival king. Caesar said, I will put to death all rival kings. You will render unto me your death. And so he does. But he also rendered unto God what was God's. Crucifixion of the sacrificial lamb for the penalty of sin. Do you see it? He rendered both. He gave up his life. He gave up the ghost. But ultimately he gave it up to his father for you. And finally, Caesar created his kingdom through the bloodshed of his enemies. Every kingdom in this world is established through the bloodshed of enemies. Jesus created his kingdom through the shedding 
of his own blood. Do you see what Jesus is saying? I'm not like any king you've ever imagined. Here's, here's our challenge today, so many years removed, and especially being surrounded by spiritualists. You take a little passage in Scripture that says the kingdom of God is, is within. So all of these people spiritualize the kingdom of God. And many in the church have a tendency to do that too. It starts there, yes? But the kingdom of God is a real kingdom. How do we know that? The entire Old Testament points us to a time when what? The kingdom of God will be inaugurated when Jesus preaches his first sermon in his hometown. What does he say? The kingdom has come. We'll give sight to the blind. We'll free the captives. There'll be real oppression will be taken away. Disease and death will be destroyed. Poverty will be eliminated. Slavery will be abolished. There's a real kingdom that's coming. But I will not establish that kingdom the way any king has ever established his king. I will do it by giving away power. Not through the bloodshed of my enemies, which are you, but through the shedding of my own blood. I. Caesar's symbol of death. Pause on this for a moment. Caesar's symbol of death is the Christian's symbol of life. For you, Jesus hung on that cross, rendering unto Caesar what was Caesar's, but ultimately rendering unto God what was God's. The payment and the penalty for your sin. And now in the words of my mentor, Dr. Ron, it's time for the invitation. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus has come. You've heard the gospel presented. He would tell me over and over again, you did a great job presenting the gospel, but you have to give the invitation. Over and over, week after week, month after, until I finally got it. You're invited to come to Christ. By grace through faith. The Bible said it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I didn't make that up. We're all going to die. And we will all stand before God. And on that day we will all have to render unto God what is God's. If you haven't rendered unto God yet, yourself, do it now. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. By grace through faith, cry out to Christ. Tonight it may be too late. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice who has never surrendered control to Christ, give them the gift of repentance and faith and raise them from death to life. May they cry out to Jesus these simple words, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And salvation comes to their heart today. Today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. Come to Christ. Come to Christ.
Put your doing down and come to Christ. Trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. Trust in nothing other than Christ alone. For he rendered unto God what was God's. The penalty for your sin and my sin. And he hung on that cross. The symbol of death to the Romans. But the symbol of life to the Christians. And cried, my God, my God, why? Why? Because of us. May that truth set us all free. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you, would you all stand with us? Thank you.